For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. God has chosen to bless you. You will become pregnant and you will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the Son of Most High. But then Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiance, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as to not disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel which means God with us. Now this prophecy is from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, and it was given about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Well, when Joseph woke up, he, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. All returned to their own towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and, and took with him Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Well, that night, there were shepherds in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, 
An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. A savior, yea, the Messiah. The Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David, and this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Well, the angels left and the shepherds said to each other, come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened that God has told us about. So they ran to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying there in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard their story were astonished. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and the shepherds went back to their fields and flocks glorifying and praising God. Well, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And at the same time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We've, we've seen his star in the sky. It arose and, and we've come to worship him. Well, Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. And so Herod called a meeting with the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. Where do the prophets say that the Messiah will be born, he asked. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah, for a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. This prophecy, again, is found in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Both prophecies, again, were given about 700 years before Jesus' birth. And so Herod sent a message to the wise men asking them to come to see him. And, and at this meeting, he learned at the exact time when they saw the star. Now, when he told them, go to Bethlehem, search diligently for the child. And when you find him, go and tell me that I two may go and worship him. Herod had other motives. After this meeting, the wise men went on their way and once again the star appeared to guide them right to Bethlehem. It, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child could be found. And when they saw the star, they were, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And they opened up their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time for them to leave, they went another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Well, after the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod will try and 
kill the child. And so that very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through his prophet out of Egypt. Have I called my son? Well, Herod was furious. When he learned that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under because the wise men had told them that the star had first appeared to them about two years before. Then sometime later, after Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, get up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those who wish to murder the child are dead. And so Joseph obeyed. He arose and he took the child and his mother and he re-entered Israel. When he heard though that Herod's son had taken over as king in Judea, he, he was afraid to go there too. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arriving, he, he settled in the small village of Nazareth, fulfilling the words of the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And you see, this is the story of Christmas. The other day, I created a really awkward moment for my wife, Savannah, and I as we headed over to a friend's house, as we pulled up into their driveway, and right before we entered through their front door, unbeknownst to my wife, I had actually gone to the backseat of the car and retrieved a gift bag that I thought was for our friends. Well, a few minutes later, as we were leaving their house, right before we were heading out to our car, I then pulled that gift bag out, handed it over to my friend. I said, hey, and, and this is for you. This is just a little gift from us to, to you guys. Well, at the last second, Savannah intercepted that gift and she said, actually, that's not for you. That's for somebody else. <laughs> you ever been there before? Yeah, I got in the car and Savannah, the first question she asked me was, how many times did I tell you that we didn't have a gift for them? And ouch, I mean, oops. I mean, that, that, that was true. She, she had told me many times, we had talked about it. It was just one of those things that, that went in one ear and, and out the other. I really wasn't paying attention. Now, I'm willing to bet that a few moments ago, as you heard the original Christmas story, that probably wasn't your first time hearing it. I mean, Christmas comes every year, and it's been that way for 2,000 years. It's, it's very predictable. It's, we know the ending. Not, not much of it changes, right? <laughs> but you see, for the people who are living during Jesus' day, they saw the birth of Jesus very differently. 
I mean, from Mary to Joseph to the prophets to the angels to, to King Herod, they had a different perspective of the birth of Christ. And you see, their vantage point of Jesus, catch this, their vantage point of Jesus shaped their response to Jesus. Now, whether you know it or not, you've walked in here today, and, and like people in the original Christmas story, you too have your own personal perspective of Jesus. I mean, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, your lack of belief says something about what you believe or don't believe about this Jesus guy. Now, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know if you lost a bet, all right? Or if you're trying to make a good impression upon somebody, or if you're trying to win her parents over because you know you're about to pop the big question, I want to begin by just asking you a very simple question. Now, you may not like the question. In fact, you you may disagree with it when you first hear it. But the question is this. What if the most important thing about you is what comes to mind whenever you think about Jesus? I mean, what if your belief or lack of belief is actually more significant than you realize? There's a book in the Bible called Matthew, and and Matthew serves as a biography for us on the life of Jesus. Matthew was a close friend of Jesus, and and all throughout his story on Christ, he he gives us these little snapshots and moments of, of people being forced to face their perspective of who they believe Jesus to be. Now, at the beginning of Matthew, he begins with the the family tree of Jesus. Now, this is really significant. It's not something that we don't want to just brush by because notice that Matthew doesn't begin his biography by saying, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. How many of you by show fans saw the new Star Wars movie? All right, awesome. Good to see it. Yeah, Matthew didn't start out that way. Why? Well, because we only start stories like that that are fairy tales, that aren't true, are, are myths, right? And so by beginning with the genealogy of Jesus, that was Matthew, Matthew's way of saying, hey, everything that I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. Take it from me. Here's his list of, of family members. And so one of those stories that I want to briefly look at can be found in Matthew chapter 16. All right, words are going to be up here on the screen and uh, Jesus is much older. He's probably about 30, 32 years old, okay? And uh, he's in the height of his popularity. He's got a reality TV show about him. He's got a verified Twitter and Instagram account. I mean, people just are swarming him every direction. I mean, everywhere he goes, he, he can't get away from the masses and the crowd. He is a really popular guy at this point. And so pick up with me in uh, chapter 16, verse 13, what Jesus does to get away from the people who wanted to just be around him. He, he took his three closest friends on a little trip so that he could have a discussion with them. And, and here's the discussion that we read about, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, in other words, he asked his friends, his buddies, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man is another title or term for Jesus. He's simply saying, hey, what's word on the street about me right now? Verse 14, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and and others say Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. And so Jesus asked his his three closest friends what people were saying about his identity, what their perspective and vantage point was of him. Now, it's evident by their response that that Jesus had a really good reputation, all right? 
I mean, the men that they were equating him with were very respected. They were held in high regard. I mean, to be associated with the prophets, it was a good thing. And there was an element of truth, too, about what they thought about Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus was a prophet. He was a messenger sent by God to communicate something specifically to us, to people here on earth. And there was some truth to their perspective of him. But understand that their their perspective of who Christ was was very limited and small. You see, it's almost like they had experienced inoculation. They had just enough truth about Jesus to really keep them from who Jesus really was. You ever been there before? I think some of us, we, we walk in here and uh, we think Jesus is kind of like Elf on the Shelf. All right? Now, we have Elf on the Shelf. You don't know what that is. Uh, it is just this little guy that randomly appears in your living room and observes the behavior of your children or your husband. All right? And uh, every night goes back to the North Pole, reports to Santa who's been good and, and who's been bad. And, and he just kind of awkwardly appears and he just lingers. He's, he's kind of like that relative of yours around the holiday season that just shows up. You don't know how to get rid of him or her and he's just is there. How many of you by show fans have that relative? You know who I'm talking about. All right, if you're not raising your hand, you just might be that relative, all right? <laughs> And so some of our perspectives of Jesus honestly isn't much different. We think that Jesus is constantly overshadowing us, making a list of everything that we've done wrong and right. And then he goes and reports back to God if we've been good, if we've kept the rules, right? And you know that you've blown it big time. You know you've got a lot of stuff in your past that you're not proud of. And so maybe that explains why you've been running from God for a really long time is because you're just ashamed. You're ashamed of what that list looks like. Others of us, we, we view Jesus kind of like an heirloom, all right? Now, an heirloom isn't uh, necessarily high in value, but it usually has some sentimental significance. And once it's passed down through enough generations, it typically just ends up in an attic or a garage collecting a lot of dust, all right? Uh, Savannah and I recently had the privilege of inheriting about 200 pounds worth of china from one of our grandparents. And you might think, man, something that big, you must use it a whole lot. We've used it for one meal in the past two years, all right? What heartless husband would ever suggest putting something like that up on Craigslist for sale? (laughs) Just asking for a friend, all right? (laughs) And so maybe your mom and dad, they loved going to church. They... In fact, you were drugged as a child every single week. They drug you to church with them, all right? Your grandparents were were faithful believers, and yet when you were about 18, 19, 20 years old, and you were on your own, you went to college, you didn't really really take with, with you that tradition maybe that your parents established, and here's why. It's because you never really owned your faith. You thought that Jesus was just something that you could inherit. It's fine if your mom and dad want to go to church. It's fine if your mom and dad want to believe in all that Jesus stuff. But it's just not for you. And so Christ is just kind of like that heirloom that sits in the closet, sits in the attic collecting a bunch of dust, right? Others of us, we we view Jesus kind of like a pre-lit Christmas tree. All right, hang with me on this one. A pre-lit Christmas tree, I'm convinced, is kind of like eating White Castle burgers at 10 o'clock at night. It seems like a good idea in the moment, but then later on, you really regret that decision. You don't believe me on that? Guys, go out and do it tonight. 
It's good birth control too, all right? <laughs> Sorry, not in the notes. Uh, <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> pre-lit Christmas tree. Yes, okay, got it. Three weeks ago, I was retrieving our tree from the basement, and I went to set it up in our living room. And when I went to plug it in, only about half of the lights turned on. All right, and I got so frustrated at this point because I couldn't find the broken bulb, couldn't figure out why the lights weren't turning on. And then all of a sudden, I started asking myself, why in the, who in the world came up with this idea? And so I thought, you know what, I bet at some point in time in recent history, there were a group of wives that got together and, and thought, hey, how can we create the impression that this is going to cause less work for our husbands, but it's actually going to be more frustrating, all right? And so as these wives were kind of brainstorming, one said, well, here's what we can do. When a light goes out, let's make it totally impossible for him to find it. When he does find that broken bulb, it's going to be impossible for him to remove it from the strand. Well, as they kept talking back and forth, they then came to this realization that, well, if the lights don't work, he's going to try to replace it at some point with a new strand of lights. So when he goes to do that, make it totally impossible to remove those strand of lights from the tree. Whichever husband can make it that far without cussing, he wins. (laughs) And so I got close, all right? I won't tell you what I said, but I got angry. I took that Christmas tree, put it out in our trash can, and wanted nothing to do with it. I stormed back in the house, and I said, hey, Savannah, we're getting a real tree this year. She said, oh, yeah? I said, yep. She said, where are you going to find that? I said, you just watch. Three days later, I was driving back from my parents' cabin down in the middle of Kentucky. It was with some of our staff. We were on a retreat. I just happened to carry a hacksaw with me because I knew what we were going to see. As we were driving down an old country road in Kentucky, all right, I saw some evergreens off in the distance, pulled the church van to the side of the road, got the hacksaw out, chopped a tree down, shoved it in the back of the Crossroads Christian Church van, brought it back to my wife as if I had just won a trophy. And I got to tell you, I felt like I won and I defeated whoever came up with that game of the pre-lit Christmas tree. I mean, I felt good about myself when I brought it in our house for the first time. And you know, some of us, we, we think that Jesus has failed us in some way, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you gave him a chance for a little while and And yet some things happened in your life that you didn't see coming. You thought that, hey, if I become a Christian, then I'll never get cancer. If I follow Jesus, then then my my bank account will always be secure. My portfolio will always be robust. And I'll never go through depression. I'll, I'll never feel betrayed by a friend. And yet that's exactly what's happened. You've gone through depression. You, you've maybe even gone through abuse. And, and yet like a pre-lit Christmas tree, you think that Jesus has failed you in some way and that he hasn't delivered what he promised. You ever been there before? I have. And so let's pick back up here with the story because Jesus is about to turn the discussion around and and ask his closest buddies what, what they thought about him, all right? And so verse 15, we read this, then he, Jesus, asked him, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now Jesus basically said right here, hey, what matters most is what comes to mind when you see me and you think about me. I don't care what the others are saying. 
And so Peter, being the first to respond, says, well, Jesus, you're, you're the one who's going to save us, right? You're the one who's going who's to rescue us. Now, in the ancient world, Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus asked this question, it was very intentional on his part, because this city, back 2,000 years ago, was known to house the temple for the Greek god Pan. Now, Pan was the Greek god of sexuality and nature, and it just so happened that, that during the first century, he was one of the only Greek gods in Greek mythology to have died, and he died around the time of the life of Christ. And, and it's been recorded that whenever it was announced that, that the pan god died, people just went into a panic. They just went into this place of desperation and hopelessness. They didn't know how to respond, and they just, they were depressed. And so is it any coincidence that the very first time that Jesus is referred to as the living God, it happens to be in the city which represented the death and defeat of all the world had to offer at the time. You see, this was Jesus' way of saying, hey, look, what, what the world offers is one thing, but what I can provide is, is something totally better, totally different. I'll never fail you. In fact, Jesus, we would later learn, is our warrior king who died the death we deserved and three days later conquered the grave. He crashed his own funeral, proving to everybody that he really was who he said he was, God in the form of flesh. I want you to also know that Jesus is personal. In verse 18 here, he, he says that, that Simon will no longer be referred to as Simon. He'll be referred to as Peter. Now understand that Peter means rock, and it represented somebody who was stable, secure, somebody you could count on, who wasn't afraid of anything, was full of courage, yet that was anything but t Peter at that particular point in his life. No, he was insecure. He was full of fear. You couldn't rely upon him. He was aimless in life. And yet Jesus called him a rock? You see, this tells us that Jesus is far more interested in who we're becoming than who we are. He's more interested than, in your future than he is in, in your past. And I know that you've blown it big time. You, you've made a mess of your life. I'm, I have too. I, I've been there. Some of us walk in here today hearing lots of lies and labels that have been thrown upon us. Maybe at an early age, your, your parents referred to you as, a, as an embarrassment your parents referred to you as, as an accident. Maybe since then you've been called a screw-up and, and everything in between. And, and you know what? You've maybe heard these lies so often, you've started to believe them. But what if Jesus could give you a new name? Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel says this, and I just want this to be Jesus' invitation to you today. The angel says, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people and you see, the good news of Christmas is that your past no longer has to affect your present nor your future. And what you've been wanting has been made available to you. Notice the angel didn't say that I bring to you good advice. He didn't say that. Sometimes we equate advice with, with news, but, but two, the two are totally different. Advice is, is something that you do, right? But news is something that's already been done. And so Jesus comes to you today and says, hey, look, I've already paid for it. It's already finished. 2,000 years ago, I came to give you what you couldn't do yourself. And so I just want to end with a very simple question. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
I'm not asking you your opinion of certain teachings in Scripture. I'm not asking you to believe certain stories that are found in the Bible that are just honestly hard to believe. No, I'm saying, let's start with Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? And so there's some of us here today that want to begin a relationship with him. And if you're ready to believe for the first time that Jesus is God, I want you to know that that is a choice that will free you from everything, from your past, your present, and your future. No sin will be held against you. There's nothing you can do to deserve or earn it. It's something that's been freely given to us. That's why Jesus is referred to as a gift. And so my question is, do you want what is freely offered to you by simply trusting in what Jesus has done? Maybe you know right now I'm talking to you. Your heart is beating a little bit quicker. You're a little bit nervous right now. Somebody a couple nights ago that attended one of our services said, I just felt like something came alive within me. And so if you want to choose to believe and trust Jesus for the very first time, I just want to walk you through what, what some first steps can look like. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And so I want everybody in here right now to go ahead and close their eyes. Go ahead and everybody close your eyes. And if you want to choose to believe and trust that Jesus died for you to pay for your sin and you want to make this choice for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to just slip your hand up right now as you hear my voice. Go ahead and do it. Don't slip your hand up. Yeah, I see you. Keep your hands up. Thank you. I see you in the back. Keep your hands up. We've got some ushers that are walking around right now and they're going to be given a little packet of information to you. Inside that packet is a Bible. There's a card in there that we want you to fill out and leave on your seat when you leave here in a moment. Again, hold your hands high so our ushers can see you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to pray, and, and the thing is, I, I, can't, I can't pray for you, but I can give you some language and tools and, and maybe a way to help you express how you feel and maybe having a, for you to have a conversation with God for the first time in a long time. And, and so I'm going to pray and uh, just want you to know that Jesus is the best decision that you'll ever make. And this is a good place for you to start, but it's not a good place for you to stay. Because following Jesus means surrendering everything that you are to him. Let's pray and then uh, we'll continue on. Father, I am broken, I am a sinner, I am in need of your forgiveness and grace. And I thank you that Christmas represents the time that you came to give us exactly what we needed, what I needed. And so it's only by trusting that what you did on the cross in a miraculous way was for me that I can be saved, that I can be forgiven and find freedom. And, and so God, teach us to love you and to know you more and more each day. Help us to walk in the freedom that you have provided. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.